stand this morning for our gospel lesson. It comes from Luke's gospel, the 10th chapter. I'm going to be reading verses 38 through 42. And this is a continuation of where we've been these last few weeks in this 10th chapter of Luke's gospel. It can be found in the New Testament section of your pew Bible on page 70 if you want to follow along. But Luke's gospel, the 10th chapter, verses 38 through 42. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now as they went on their way, he entered a certain village, where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted, distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her, tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. You are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken from her. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, again, we submit ourselves before you and we come this morning asking that we might hear your voice, that we might understand what it is that you're speaking to us we might know more clearly how to live into and live out of your will for us as your people. So Lord, speak to us this day, we ask and we pray. It's in Christ's name and to his honor and glory that we ask all these things. And again, all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Well, I was distracted this morning. I just realized that and I forgot to put my offering in the plate. So as I was looking at that, um, full confession this morning, but that was not actually planned. That was truly a mistake and a distraction on my part. I was just so involved in the aspects of worship that I forgot to actually do that, even as I encouraged you to do so this morning. But this morning as I began, I want to tell you about an experience I had just a couple weeks ago. Crystal was up with her family, helping them out with some different things. And our kids were away at church camp. So I had an evening where I came home from work and my mind just wouldn't shut off and I needed a reprieve. So I turned to a movie in hopes of, in hopes of helping kind of calm me down and get my thoughts kind of quieted in my head. And so I turned to a familiar movie from 1991 entitled City Slickers. And if you're not familiar with City Slickers, and from the laughter, I guess that many of you probably are this morning, it follows three men who have been lifelong best friends, and each year they take a vacation together, trying to get away from their ordinary rhythms and routines of life, just enjoying one another's company and doing something fun and adventurous. Well, this particular year, things are a little bit different. They decide as a group that they're going to go and help on a cattle drive. They're going to help these seasoned cowboys herd cattle and basically take them west in old-fashioned sorts of terms. Well, I love the movie. There's lots of humor, lots to laugh at. But this evening, as I was watching it, something else caught my attention. And it had to do with the old leathery cowboy named Curly in the film. He's everything that you think of when you think of a cowboy. I mean, he's mean and he's rough. He he can do anything that needs to be done with a knife or a whip. But as tough as he is, he's also incredibly wise in this film. 
And in one of the more serious moments, Curly's riding alongside of one of these city slickers, one of the guys who's never done this before, and it happens to be Mitch, Billy Crystal's character. And as they turn to one another, they have this philosophical conversation. Against the backdrop of the open sky, these rough-hewn mountains, the beautiful clear streams, Mitch, this man who's on vacation, turns to Curly and he says this with longing. He says, your life makes sense to you. And Curly responded to that, you city folk, you are a worrying lot. How old are you? 38? 39, Billy Crystal's character quickly chimed in. Then Curly continued, you all come up here about the same age. You spend 50 weeks getting knots in your rope and you think that two weeks up here are going to untie them for you, but none of you get it. He pauses for a lengthy moment and then he says, you know what the secret to life is? No, what? Says Billy Crystal's character. Truly seeking, seeking to discern, seeking to understand what the secret to life is. It's then that Curly says, holding up his finger, one thing. Just one thing. You stick to that and everything else don't mean nothing. That's great, says Billy Crystal's character. But what's the one thing? What's the one thing? And then the curly looks at him for another minute and he says, that's what you've got to figure out. Maybe you're here this morning Maybe you're here this morning after spending some time away, just as the characters in this film have. And during that time, maybe you were able to get away and get some perspective. You were able to untie some of those knots in your rope, as Curly said. You've been able to relax and rejuvenate, gain some perspective. And now you're here and you're ready to dive back in rhythms and routines of life that are so familiar and so normal to so many of us. Or maybe you're here this morning and that time hasn't quite come for you. You're looking forward to a week or two, a little bit later on this summer into the fall, where you can get away, where you can sit there with fishing pole in hand and contemplate the deeper things of life, or maybe sit on the beach and open up a book, trying to discern what that most important thing of life is. But I want to ask you this morning, what do you suppose that thing is? What do you suppose that one thing is that Curly was speaking of? You see, when Jesus, who is the central character that we read about in Scripture this morning, as he's on his way to Jerusalem, he stops at the home of Martha. And he gives her much the same advice that he gives to Curly. In that, or it's much the same advice that Curly gives to that city slicker in that movie. He says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. But again, what is that one thing? Is it time for reflection? Is it time to contemplate the deep mysteries of life? Or maybe it's time to stop and smell the roses to enjoy this life and the creation that God has given to us. Or maybe, maybe it's just as Mary did. An opportunity to leave the busyness of life behind and just sit down at the feet of Jesus and be in his presence. You see, often we approach the scripture, and I have to admit, this is often how I approach the scripture 
I interpret it in the way that I just spoke of. Martha, Martha is the one who sees time as a limited commodity. It's something that's ticking away. It's something that we only have this much of. And with each minute goes by, there's a little less and there's a little less. And with each, each minute ticking by, there's less opportunity, less chance, less time to do all the things that need to be done. But Mary, Mary sees things differently, doesn't she? She approaches time differently. For her, time is ripe. It's full with opportunity and potential. It's filled with the potential of soaking in this life that God has given us, enjoying God's presence in the world around us, making use of this incredible gift of life that God has given us. And it's then that the words of Jesus cut through the ether. It's then that Jesus' words enter into time and space. And we hear this reminder, Martha, Martha, there is need of only one thing. And with those words, we tend to assume that Jesus is encouraging us to soak in the fullness of time to enjoy this very gift of life and breath that he's given us. And on the face of it, that's not a bad interpretation of what's going on here. In fact, it's a rather good one. Each and every one of us could use more of that in our lives, I believe. I mean, with the the distracted and busy schedules that we keep where we're constantly going from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, so that each and every time we have to pull out our phones or open up our calendars and begin to look at what is the next thing we have to go to. With lives filled with busyness like that, we would be good to take a step back and to rest, to enter into the Sabbath rest that God has given us. To enjoy the fullness, the beauty, the joy of this life that God has gifted us with. Amen? As I thought about that this week, I thought about a story I'd heard of a woman who went on vacation with her family. And for them, it has been a long long year and she's been looking forward to this vacation with everything in her being she wants to break forth from the normal routines of life she's ready to put away the calendar she's ready to move beyond the frantic and the frenetic pace at which she and her family have been moving she's looking forward to some time away without soccer games and doctor's appointments without having to run to the bank, without having to juggle the checkbook, without having to answer the phone. But without noticing, she's brought the to-do list along with her. They as a family have brought the to-do list along with them. And it's just as long, if not longer, than the to-do list at home and at the office. They want to read this novel. They want to go to this museum. They want to take this hike. They want to eat at this restaurant. They want to enjoy this experience. And of course, there's chores that need to be done still, even as they're on vacation. But one night, one night early on in that vacation, this woman, this family has the opportunity to pause as the four-year-old child speaks up and says, Mommy, will you read me a bedtime story tonight? And at that very moment, as the daughter stretches out her hand to her mother, her mother says to her, absolutely. 
She knows that this is precious time, but she also knows that her daughter has been busy. She's tired. She knows that she's not going to make it through the whole story, that when her daughter falls asleep, she can sneak out of the room, read the novel, plan what's going on tomorrow. But that's when it happens. As soon as the story has finished and the daughter's eyes are still open, she says, Mommy, will you just stay here until I fall asleep? And as she does, as the daughter falls asleep, she does so by singing, herself, singing to herself. The mother hears that melody, and she's just in awe. And then as the singing fades to that light sleep, she hears her daughter's breathing. And she thinks, what a gift this is. And as they're sitting there, their curtains begin to rustle with the breeze that's blowing. The crickets are chirping. God's creation surrounds them. Holy sounds, all of them. Sounds of wonder. Sounds that speak to the creative and matchless and majestic name of their Savior. At that very moment, that woman is consumed with the gift that she's been given. This incredible gift of life. Life that's not found in the keeping of schedules and to-do lists, but life as God has given it. A free and gracious gift that none of us have earned. And in that moment, she's thankful. I don't know about you, but every time I think of that story that I heard those many years ago, I think we as human beings need more of that time. There's something sacred. There's something holy. There's something so profound about those moments that Scripture refers to as keros moments. Quality time, holy time, time spent in God's presence, soaking in who God is, the wonder of His creation, the wonder of this life that He's given us, the gift of one another. So maybe we do hear Jesus' words to Martha, and we appreciate that interpretation. Martha, Martha, you are worried and you are distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. What is that one thing? I think it's easy to look and say we need more time. Time to smell the roses. Time to sit in Jesus' presence. Time to enjoy this beautiful world that He has given us. Time to enjoy this life to the full that He has brought for us to enjoy. Yet this week, I was also struck by something else. As compelling as that interpretation of the text is, there's also a danger to it. Too often, as we interpret the story in that way, we diminish the importance of Martha's busyness. While at the same time, we romanticize what Mary is doing. And in so doing, we turn Martha into this cartoon. And I found a cartoon very much like it this week. We show Martha standing there in the sink with soap suds up to her elbows. But Mary, she's over there just all serene and happy in the living room sitting at Jesus' feet. And I think it's easy to conclude in that moment that Jesus is saying, let the dishes pile high. They don't really matter. 
Don't worry about the work. It'll take care of itself. And if we're not careful, it does lead to this ethic of inactivity. And Fred Craddock, the storied professor of preaching at Emory University, he cautioned against this. He said, if we censor Martha too harshly, she may abandon serving altogether. And if we commend Mary too profusely, she may just sit there forever. He writes, there is a time to go, a time to do. There's a time to listen and a time to reflect. Knowing which and when is a matter of spiritual discernment. I think it's that sort of discernment that Jesus is hitting at. The one thing that Martha needs more than actually more time is the ability to discern how best to use the time that she's been given. And this is a theme that appears again and again over Luke's Gospel as I reread it this this last few weeks. Luke again and again tells us the kingdom of God is breaking into this world. The presence of Jesus is here amidst His disciples. He's going into all the world proclaiming the kingdom of God. And His disciples are going with Him. And they too were proclaiming that message. And in so doing, the kingdom of God is drawing near. He's drawing near on a regular basis. And when it draws near, we have the opportunity to receive it or we have the opportunity to reject it. We have the opportunity to accept what God is doing or we have the opportunity to turn our backs on it. In fact, just a little earlier in our Scripture, even in this 10th chapter, Jesus tells His followers that He is sending them out. He's sending them out to go ahead of Him. As they, to do, as they do so, they're to go as laborers into this incredible harvest field that's out there. But as they go forth, they're to go with the knowledge that the kingdom of God has drawn near. And as they go from village to village, they're to go and proclaim just that message. But Jesus says there will be some who accept it. And there will be some who reject it. And Jesus said, blessed are those who receive you. Blessed are those who welcome you. But when the disciples enter into a new place, they're not always guaranteed that peaceable reception. They're not always guaranteed that their message is going to be received and welcomed. And in those moments, Jesus says they're to move on. They're to wipe the dust from their sandals and continue on in this work. You see, the disciples in that moment as God's kingdom breaks in around them, they're to participate in that work, but they're also to discern how to respond to what God is doing and how God is being received. But the thing is, whether or not those in that village accept or reject that message, whether they acknowledge or turn their backs on the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God has drawn near in those times. And Luke makes it clear it's a grave importance. It's a vital importance that we understand and discern how to respond when Christ and His kingdom draw near. Being able to discern when Christ is in our midst, being able to discern when His kingdom is breaking in, that's an opportunity that each and every one of us have. And knowing how to respond, it matters most. Sometimes how we respond needs to be an activistic response. Think of the Scripture immediately preceding this one, the one that we looked at last week, the one of the Good Samaritan. The 
Good Samaritan sees God's kingdom breaking in all around him. He sees God's presence. He sees Jesus in that poor, or that poor man who was robbed and left for dead. And as he sees that man's pain, as he recognizes that man's hurt, as he sees that man's affliction, he goes and he does. He bandages up the man's wounds. He puts the man on his own animal. He takes them to an inn. He engages. He doesn't sit idly by. But then sometimes what matters most is that contemplative response. To do what Mary does in today's Scripture. To sit. To rest. To enjoy God's presence. To relish in all that God is doing around us. But what I find interesting and what I never really paid attention to until these last few weeks as I've been studying is that they follow on the heels of one another. First we have the Good Samaritan and then we have that of Mary and Martha. It's almost as if they're two sides of the same coin. Exhibit A and Exhibit B. This is how you can respond to the arrival of God's kingdom. It's not that one is better than the other. It's not that one is more important than the other. It's that both matter. That at times, God is going to present us with the opportunity to actively engage in His work in the world. Amen? And like the Good Samaritan, we're to be bearers of His peace. We're to be people who bring hope and healing. But then there are going to be those times where we need to be refreshed. There are going to be those times where we need to be rejuvenated, where we just need to sit in God's presence and enjoy all that He has to offer us. I'm convinced Martha's work wasn't unimportant. What she was doing was incredibly value, valuable, just as she was valuable. But I think what I've seen maybe for the first time is that her busyness is ill-timed. It's not the busyness that's the problem. The Good Samaritan was incredibly busy and, and Christ said, go and do Likewise. No, it's not the busyness that's the problem. It's the timing of the busyness. The theologian Paul Tillich said it this way. He says there are innumerable concerns in our lives and in human life in general. Things that demand our attention, devotion, and passion. But he says they do not demand our infinite attention, our unconditional devotion, our ultimate passion. These things are important often very important. They're important for you and me and for the whole of humankind. But they are not ultimately important. You see, it comes down to figuring out what is of utmost and ultimate importance. And in that moment, putting that first. And that's the challenge of the Gospel. Do we go and tell? Or do we wait and we receive? It's not that one is more important than the other. They're both necessary. We need to receive the grace of God for ourselves. Amen? Our lives need to be shaped and changed and transformed by the powerful grace of God. 
Grace that doesn't just justify us, but sanctifies us. We need to experience that as we sit at the feet of Christ, as we receive his grace, as we abide in him. But we're also called not only to be hearers of the word, but doers. We're called not just to be those people who walk idly by on the side of the road. No, we're called to engage, to help, just as the Good Samaritan did. And so I think if we were to ask Jesus this morning, which is more important, which we need of, do we need more of Mary or do we need more of the Good Samaritan? I'm sure Jesus would say yes. Yes, we need both. The truth is that both of these responses, both of these ways of acknowledging what God is doing have their time and they have their place. But the problem is, or the challenge is for us, we have to decide what is the appropriate response in the moment. And we do that not only by ourselves, but as we study God's Word and as the Spirit guides and directs. So friends, I would encourage you. I would encourage you to be watchful for the ways in which the kingdom of God is breaking in all around you. Be on the lookout for what God is up to. Stay alert as to how God may be drawing near to you. Maybe in the form of that person who's in need this week that you might meet. Or maybe in that cause of injustice which you feel called to champion. Or maybe, or maybe you'll hear God's voice say, be still. Be still and know that I'm God. And you'll feel compelled and called to dive deeper in God's word. To carve out time where you can sit in silence and hear God's voice in fresh new ways. Or maybe to take a hike and to get out into the glory and splendor of God's creation. Friends, I don't know what form it will take for you this week. I don't know what form it will take for us today. But I am convinced of this. We serve a risen Savior who is in the world today. He's working. He's walking. He's talking. His kingdom is breaking in all around us. And we need to be watchful for it. We need to be on the lookout for what He's doing in the midst of our routines and rhythms of life that we have grown so accustomed to. And we need to discern with the help of the Holy Spirit how to respond when the King and His kingdom draw near. I know this. When we discern how to respond with the help of the Holy Spirit, we'll know what to do next whether to go and to serve as the, great, as the Good Samaritan did or whether it is to sit, to rest, to be taught by Jesus just as Mary was. But friends, may we be attentive to the voice of God. May we be aware of what God is doing. And may we know and may we discern how best to follow in those moments. Amen.